When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A friend of mine the other day asked me this question, Wes, aren't we in a stock market bubble? There's bubbles all around. Aren't we going to be like 1990s Japan? One of the most brutal stock market bubbles in the history of markets. Could that end up being us? I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Ever since the COVID lockdowns of 2020, when markets fell 34% in a matter of a month, and then subsequently have recovered from the very, very bottom, almost 100%, give or take, depending when you're listening to the Retire Sooner podcast, investors have been wondering, hey, are we in a bubble? And if you look back over the past five years, if you've been invested in the S&P 500, you've also seen about 100% return. So some of that is recovery from covid but over the longer period of time, in the past half decade, markets have done very well. And there's a natural sense to say, hey, isn't this market so high? Are we in a bubble? Can you still put money to work? And we've done whole podcasts around the difference between perfect timing and participating in markets. And we're big believers here, and I'm a big believer, that we've got to participate in markets over long, long periods of time. And participation is a heck of a lot more productive over time than perfection. But I've been getting this question a lot lately, which is, hey, the market keeps hitting these all-time highs. Can I still put money to work? And because we're at an all-time high and the economy has recovered gangbusters ever since the COVID lockdowns of 2020, could we be in some sort of bubble? Like, remember what happened in Japan? And by the way, what happened in Japan, one of the most famous stock market fallouts of all time. The Japanese economy seemed ready to take over the entire world. The Japanese economy was so good that the business schools in the United States started studying Japanese management techniques. These guys are the ones that have it all figured out. Their real estate prices started going through the roof. And their stock market absolutely skyrocketed hitting almost 40,000 on their Nikkei. So think of the Nikkei as similar to the United States, Dow. Their Nikkei hit almost 40,000 at the end of 1989, then subsequently cratered for the next almost 15 years, falling from 39,000 all the way down to 8,000 in January of 2003. That's almost an 80% drop. And because it was the economy set to take over the world, it commonly gets used as an example of, hey, look at that cautionary tale. Japan was taking over the world. 
We were studying how good they were in our own business schools in the U.S. And then, of course, the story changed from there. And Nikkei's still not recovered to this day. In fact, as I said here in this August of 2021, the Nikkei floats at around 28,000, still 11,000 points below where it was in 1989. So it's not uncommon that I get this question of, hey, what if the U.S. or isn't the U.S. in some sort of bubble that looks a lot like what happened over there? And even though these cautionary market tales are really important to not ignore, it's a great example of just how volatile markets can be. And I'm not talking about emerging markets here. I'm talking about developed first world massive economies. They can still have really difficult stock markets. But if you start to really look under the hood, it's almost hard to fathom just how bubbly or insanely overvalued the Japanese stock market and economy and real estate was at the time of their very, very peak. And the reason I bring it up is that even though we can't predict how things are going to go in the U.S. stock market over the next year or even couple of years, and even though there's no way to know exactly how our economy will do in the United States, if you look back at some of Japanese history, which is actually fascinating to understand what was happening during the peak of their bubble, it gives you some context and at least gives me some peace of mind that the U.S. economy and market doesn't seem to be anywhere close as the thin ice and hot air Japan was floating on at the time. So today I want to go over five nearly unbelievable economic scenarios that were happening at the peak of Japan's bubble. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. First of all, let's go back and look at the market. If you go back to 1989, the Dow had cleared around 3,000 points. The Nikkei, right at its peak in 1989, was at 39,000, which was 13x that of the Dow. And if you go back to after World War II, the Dow and the Nikkei were right around the same. Go back to 1949, the Tokyo Stock Exchange, as it started back up and running after World War II, the Nikkei, similar to the S&P 500 or the Dow here in the United States, they were right around the same level. The Dow and the Nikkei, about 180 on the index. But as the Dow climbed from 180 over that long period of time to 3,000, which is a good run in itself, the Nikkei went from 180 to 39,000, or 13 times the number on the Dow. But it wasn't just stocks. Land prices in Japan skyrocketed 5,000%. In fact, at the peak, there was Japanese property or trading at or selling at close to $140,000 per square foot. But we all know what happened. Prices became so detached from reality or actual economic fundamentals that it completely burst. Starting in the late 80s and early 1990s, 
the world economy started to kind of leave Japan in the dust. And the Nikkei went from 39,000 to under 8,000. And again, to this day, still 11,000 points, approximately below its glory days in the late 1980s. Crazy economic fact number one. The entire U.S. real estate market was worth only, and this is at the height of the bubble for all of these, the entire United States real estate market was only worth a quarter of Japan's. Now, I'm not a geographer, but take a look at a map. Which one looks bigger, the United States or Japan? In fact, if we were to actually do the geography, all the land in Japan is equivalent to less than 5% of the land in the United States. Yet it was worth 4x, four times the property value. In fact, at the time, property values were so inflated that in Japan, 65% of all the wealth in the country was concentrated in property value. As an example, if you looked at a country like the United Kingdom around the same period of time, only about 2.5% of wealth in that country was held in real estate or property value. So it just became massively, massively lopsided and at an unsustainable level. Number two on the list here has to do with this shocking statistic that the Imperial Palace in Tokyo, and we're talking about just the grounds of the palace, which covered less than a half a square mile, less than one half of one square mile. Now, granted, beautiful bridges, beautiful botany, serene waterscapes, and enduring beauty with statues. But again, smaller than a small town in remote USA. Had the property value, and this is where that almost $140,000 per square foot comes in. Again, almost 400 times the price of land in Manhattan. But that little plot of land, the Imperial Palace in Tokyo, had a value of the entire state of California. What? Doesn't make any sense. And you're right. It didn't make any sense. And that is the mark of a bubble. Anytime you look at any sort of asset class, and that's today, it might be cryptocurrency. It might be the value of meme stocks. Anytime something seems totally detached from reality, It eventually ends. Either one of the assets that is totally disjointed is way, way undervalued, or one of those assets is enormously overvalued. In the case of Japan, the story here is that it was clearly exceeding values relative to the rest of the world. Here's a concrete example. Golf clubs got so expensive to join. And here in the United States, you can join a golf club for five grand or 25 grand or some of the real swanky ones. They might be a hundred grand here in the United States, maybe a little more than that. But we're talking about some high end country clubs here in the US. Very exclusive, old money and new money. But at the time, in the late 1980s, some of the high end country clubs were charging two, three, four million dollars to join. Again, starting to detach from reality. And that's what you get when you see at least some sort of demand. Everything gets more expensive. Property gets more expensive. And by the way, Japanese culture loves to play golf. Land is tight. Only 4% of the United States. So, hey, wait, maybe it makes sense. And by the way, that's another issue when it comes to bubble or another sign is that there becomes this conversation around, well, it's a new paradigm. 
golf is so popular and there's so little land. Well, it makes sense that a golf course would be $50 million. Well, it did until it didn't. Value Country Clubs became a somewhat of a tradable commodity. So they actually started their own exchange. And at one point, country club memberships were getting traded on an exchange. And the value of the memberships were, were getting traded back and forth between, and I believe this is mostly citizens of Japan in the Japanese economy. The value of those memberships hit $200 billion. Again, doesn't even sound believable. But again, that's what happens in bubbles. So when I'm looking around and seeing what are the culprits of this, even though the U.S. economy has rebounded tremendously, even though the stock market has done well, I look around and I see things like some of these cryptocurrencies, 14-year-olds trading in lawnmower money to buy a crypto that then turns into $10 million. That smells like a bubble. Now, we also know that the Japanese economy got so wealthy that they started coming over here in the United States and pretty much buying up every piece of land they could possibly buy. The Biltmore Hotel in downtown LA, Hollywood Studio, Columbia Pictures, that was bought by Sony. And then, of course, the, the Mitsubishi Group bought Rockefeller Center in New York City. Again, all of this leading up to perhaps one of the largest economic bubbles and stock market bubbles in history. Now, no bubble is without some sort of human anecdotal story, which brings me to the Dark Lady of Osaka. Now, I don't even know if I can pronounce this name. I'm not going to pretend to be able to pronounce the, the Japanese name here. But pretty simply, this is a restaurant owner that forged a bunch of stock certificates, literally just made up stock certificates. It went to the Industrial Bank of Japan, turned over these fake stock certificates, so they would give her loans to the tune of 250 billion yen. Now, yen is different than dollars. That's around $2 billion US, billion. She ended up becoming the largest player in any single day on the Tokyo Stock Exchange, which by the way, at the time was like trading on the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange, reportedly taking down a billion dollars worth of stock per day, all guided by the Yoda-like ceramic toad in her restaurant, where she, she would bring in high, these high-powered stock guys, and all of a sudden, because she was so big, and she was right, and she was the biggest player in the market, their stock market folks were coming to her for stock tips, ceremoniously telling the pros what stocks to buy over a midnight dinner at the restaurant. Again, we know how the story ends. The bubble bursts, and she essentially ended up with a margin call, like we've seen here in the United States, where people borrow money. Well, granted, she was borrowing fake money, but even her fake money became upside down. So she might have had $2 billion in the market, but she owed $3 billion. That's negative $1 billion. In order to cover that, she went up, made new fake stock certificates, went back to the bank, said, yeah, I need more money. And then they finally figured it out. To this day, that's still the largest fraud-type, stock-type case that Japan has ever seen. It was all around the very top of the market. What really does matter though, when it comes to markets? Pretty simply, any sort of healthy market is driven by earnings, just profits of companies, real simple. And if you look at a chart, pretty much at any time frame in the United States, 
you will see that the U.S. stock market, for the most part, tracks. You can lay the two on top of each other in a graph. Pretty much tracks the profits of companies. So as profits expand, you'll see markets expand and profits decline dramatically. Usually in a recession, so do markets. And then vice versa. And we've seen that now today as the market fell because earnings were falling due to the COVID shutdowns have now come back dramatically, just like profits in the United States have come back dramatically. Pretty simply is earnings per share for the U.S. stock market, and you can track this in aggregate. Say, so what, did, what did the 500 companies in the S&P 500 earn in aggregate? Well, back in 2008, during the Great Recession, that number fell to about $50 a share. Total, total profits, 50 bucks in aggregate for the S&P 500. But then markets rallied, and by 2014, we'd hit about $100 in aggregate per share in profits. Makes sense that markets followed that trend. Well, here we are today in a world where we could be staring at close to $200 a share in profits here in the U.S. And right now, at least the market to some extent reflects that. Now, it doesn't mean that the market itself isn't somewhat overvalued to that. Certainly doesn't seem by historical standards undervalued to that. But it also just doesn't look a lot like Japan did. So pretty simply, and I think it's just a remarkable correlation that just doesn't get a lot of press because earnings trickle in little by little by little every day and then by quarter. So it doesn't really get reported on the news, but the stock market level does. But if you were to take those two really important pieces and overlay them to each other, they follow, they correlate. As earnings per share goes up, so does the market. As earnings per share goes down, the market goes down. Earnings per share flat or stable. Well, guess what? Market relatively flat to stable. And that's how it works. So as much as we focus on the numbers, hey, what did the Dow do in any given day? What really matters is the profits that get generated from U.S. companies. But we've had so many all-time highs. How can we keep having all-time highs? Great question. If you go back and you look at long-term bull markets, and by the way, markets tend to work in really long cycles. When we're in bear markets or not-so-good markets that are flat or down, they last years. Not uncommon to be in five-year or even almost 10-year cycles. But bull markets run in cycles that are typically longer than a decade. In fact, if you look over the course of history, Stocks move in really long, what we call secular patterns. Doesn't mean we don't have blips up and down, which we consider more cyclical. But in general, stocks work in these long-term patterns of around 12 to 14 years. That's both for secular bull markets and secular bear markets. But when we're in these long-term periods of time where markets are rising, the number of new S&P 500 closing highs per year is significant and normal to have 10, 20, 30 new highs in any given year. So if you go back to the bull market from the mid-50s to early 1970s, there were many years where we saw 20, 30, 40, and even 60 new closing highs in a given year. The secular bull market of the 1980s to 1999, that was an 18-year bull market, by the way. We had five years in a row where we saw more than 30 brand new highs in any given year. And in fact, one of those years, we saw over 70 new closing highs. But we have to look at this bull market that we've seen that's about nine years old, I think in a similar way, where even though we've heard the verbiage all-time high many times in the last several years, 
In fact, 30 times in 2020 as we recovered from COVID. It's actually pretty normal relative to history. Here's the bottom line of all this. Yes, U.S. stocks have done really well over the past several years, particularly markets post-COVID. Up about 100% over the past five years and 100% from the very huge drawdown that was COVID. And that doesn't mean that's going to continue. doesn't mean we're going to continue rocketing higher. But it also doesn't mean that just because we've done well, that we're the next Japan. Business in America is fueled by what we call here on the Retire Sooner podcast, the army of American productivity, which has led to earnings growth that has supported higher markets. Are there other bubbles out there? Well, it sure sounds like it. If you take a look at some of the other asset classes, particularly the 7,000 cryptocurrencies that have been developed over the past couple of years, maybe meme stocks also are part of that category. And of course, if you look at the broader U.S. market, let's talk about the S&P 500. Nobody knows exactly what the U.S. market's going to do over the next year or even the next year or two. But making the comparison of the U.S. today to 1990s Japan, that observation just doesn't hold water. And I don't want that to prevent investors from looking way out into the future and still believing in that army of American productivity and still being invested, at least to some extent, that's appropriate for you and your family and your goals and your risk tolerance. I'm still betting on that army of American productivity to continue. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.